Greetings and welcome back to another ongoing series of Shirman Daf Yomi. My name is Yitzchak Shalom, and we are now in Masechet Bavakama Daf Nun Aleph Amud Aleph, the first part of Mishnah Vav of the fifth parak. Bor shall continuing with the issue of Nizke Bor. Bor shall shein and Bor is owned by two partners, and we'll try to figure out how that could happen. Avar alav harishon If the first one of the partners passed by the boar and didn't cover it, and the second one passed by and he didn't cover it, the second one is fully liable. All right, let's see what's going on. Amri How could you have a boar of two partners? If we hold like Rabbi Akiva, that a boar could be in Rishut All we need is to have a joint shared chatzer, a joint shared cistern, not unlikely at all, and they were both were mafkir, the property around it, but not mafkir the boar. That would be Rabbi Kiva's scenario. If we hold like Rabbi Shmuel, that a boar in your own reshut is patur, as Rabba's take on Rabbi Shmuel, how could you ever have two partners? So the answer is Bishut Arabim. If they dug up Bishut Arabim, how could you possibly have a Borshal Shnei Shutfin in Bishut Arabim? They're two partners. What right? What claim do they have in Bishut Arabim? So if somebody made it, if if they the two of them appointed a Shaliach, and they told some guy to dig them a, a pit, the two of them together, then the fellow who dug it is liable, not them. There is no, there's no din of shleach l'dvar If you send somebody to do a violate to violate the law, he's culpable, not you. If the first guy dug five and the second guy dug the next five, then the first guy's dig is now meaningless and he's out of the picture. So it's only the second guy. Now, we do have one possible scenario where you could have shared liability, and that's according to Rebbe. We'll see the Machloket in a minute, and only for purposes of Nezikin. But as far as Rebbe is concerned, uh, as far as liability for death of an animal, in any case, won't work. We'll get to that in a minute, but the uh, provisional answer is... He had a cistern that was nine deep, let's say, and the two of them put shovels in at the same moment and together lifted up the tenth uh, tefach. So then they really have joined uh, liability. And this is, of course, from Rishut Rabim. Now, as I promised, we're going to look at Rebbe and Rabbanan. My Rebbe, my Rabbanan, what's the machloka at the Tanya? If one guy dug nine and another guy digs the tenth tefach, only the last guy is chayav, the first guy's out of the picture. You remember, even though if the, guy, if the first guy dug nine and, it, and nobody else came along and an animal fell and got hurt, the first guy would be liable. Therefore, Rebbe Omer, achar acharon Rebbe agrees that if the animal dies, only the last guy is liable. But they have to split the liability if the animal gets injured. So therefore, you could have a scenario... Uh, in, before we got to Rabbi Yochanan's answer, where one guy digs, let's say, nine, this is out in Rishut Rabim, the other guy digs the tenth, and the animal goes in and is injured, they have to split the liability, but only according to Rabbi. But if the animal dies, or according to Rabbanan in any case, no answer, that's why I have to get to Rabbi Yochanan's answer. Now, my Talmud Rabbanan, why is it that the Rabbanan say that the first guy is off the hook once the last guy digs another tefach? Again, the key words in Nizkebor, if a person uncovers or digs, 
And every time that we saw that pasuk, we have come with the following question, if you're liable for uncovering, certainly you're liable for digging, so why does it say both? So the first take on it, which we're not going to stick with, is that it's trying to tell you that if one guy digs after another, that the first guy who digs is out of the picture, which is a little bit hard to see in the words in any case, but we're not going to stay with it anyways, because Rebbe, what would Rebbe answer to that? We already demonstrated that you need in the earlier sugya, and that was that uh, if it only said I would think that in the case of you're liable until you fill it in. If it only said I would think if you wouldn't even have to cover it. Therefore, I need them both. Now, Rabbanon have to agree with that. So they can't get their source from What's their reason for saying only the last guy's on the hook? Ish, meaning one single guy. One guy, not two. Meaning, Bor can always, will always have culpability sitting on one guy's shoulders. Except in this weird, unusual case that Yochanan created, where, uh, suggested that, which is when there was a bore that was nine deep and two guys simultaneously dug out the tenth tefach. Alright. Now for Rebbe, what's Rebbe gonna do with that? Why, how will Rebbe defend his position? We've already seen that, Russia. The Pasuk says, if a man digs a, a, a cistern, and we said that the drasha is ishbor velo shorbor, meaning as opposed to if an animal, if my animal goes and digs a hole and somebody falls in, I'm not liable. It has to be a man-made uh, dig. Rabbanan, how will Rabbanan answer that? Because they have to accept ish velo shor. Trey ishbor tv. Because if you look at the pasuk, it says ki chre ishbor or ki vtach ishbor or ki chre ishbor. So you twice you have ishbor. One for ishbor velo shorbor, and the other one for ish velo anashim, meaning it has to be one person who carries the full liability. Rebbe. How will Rebbe answer that? He says, Rebbe uses what we refer to when we discuss the Mishnah and a Abraita as parallel construction. Here I call it something else, parallel phrasing, but the same thing that the Torah, because it says, Ki ishbor, o ki kiftach ishbor, o ki ishbor, just uses symmetrical wording. And, and we should not make too much of that as the Rabbanan do. Alright, so now the Gemara raises an interesting question. According to the Rabbanan, you're only one person can be liable. Why is it the last guy? Maybe the Torah is trying to say the first guy who digs is liable. If somebody else adds to it, then he's not liable because the first guy got started. The answer is, Why? The Amar Krava Meti Hiyelo. What is the, uh, the Bala Boy Shalem? He keeps the carcass. Who's the he? The guy who caused the mitah, who the kavi mitah, and that's the guy who dug the tenth tefach. So if one guy digs nine, the other guy digs ten, he's the one who keeps the carcass. Why is he keeping the carcass? Because bal habor yishalein v'meitihi alo. Who's the one who keeps the carcass? The guy who caused the death, and he's the one who pays. All right, v'ay v'meitihi alo v'ay le'lechara. But we needed v'meitihi alo for a whole different rasha. The amarav a shor p'sul mukdashin shenaf alabor. If you have a shor that was hektesh and then became a balmum, or for some other reason was nifsal varzmano, whatever. Patur, the owner of the boar is not liable. Why? Because part of the touch of the liability for boar is contingent upon the ability of the mazik to keep the carcass, and when he pay, makes full payment, he can't keep the carcass because hektish. So therefore, you need vamet hielo not to teach you which guy is paying, the second guy is opposed to the first, but rather to tell you is not in the parsha. 
The answer is Amri But that itself teaches you the point. The very fact that that this guy is the guy it has to be a guy who can keep the carcass means he's the guy who's paying. Who's the guy? The guy who created the mitah. So it all really comes back to the same point. The guy who caused the death, meaning the guy who dug tefach number ten, is the guy who is liable for the nazik. Okay, Tanarabaran. So a guy digs ten. That's a full bore. Another guy digs another ten. Another guy digs another ten. And then an animal falls in all the way down to the bottom of thirty. Kulan Chayavin. They have to split the uh, the liability three ways. Okay, or Minhu, and we have to see, that sounds like it would attach to Rebbe that allows for multiple liability. Or Minhu, we have a challenge. If one guy dug 10, and another guy came and plastered, he didn't dig any further, but he plastered, or um, or in some way he put some paint, something on the walls, only the last guy is Chayev. Now, the easiest way to solve this is to say, the first bright is Rebbe, who allows for multiple liabilities. And the second one is Rabbanon, who says only the last one is Chayav. Rav Zvid, in version number one, says, both of them are Rabbanon. When did the Rabbanon say that the last guy alone is Chayav? That's only when the first guy dug nine or less. He didn't create Shior Mitah. And the last guy... Made it shiur mitah, but here the first guy dug ten and then twenty. So he says everybody's chayiv because the first guy already dug a full board. Right? But how are you going to answer that? Because in the case of the se- the second brayta, the first guy dug ten, and the second guy just came and plastered it. According to that, the bright if the brayta is that second brayta is rabbanan, then they should agree, and certainly Rabbi should agree that they're both chayiv. Uktani acharon chayav, and the brightness says on the last guy is chayav. So amri hatam shalohayboch Somehow the bore was such a, a kind of bore that it was well ventilated, and the and we're picking again on Rav's position. It's only hevel that creates the chiyuv. There was not enough hevel to create a chiyuv alone, and um, uh, and vacher rosif by hevel by putting um, I by putting um, uh, the plaster on there, he put some more noxious fumes in, which then really created um, a noxious airspace. Now, Ikadamri, some people say the opposite. Amazvid Havah Rebbe. This is both Brighto to Rebbe. And of course then the question is really on the second Brighta. Why is only the last guy Chayev? Hachtikani Khulan Chayav and Shapir. The first Brighta's fine. The second brayta that says only the last guy is chayiv. You have to suppose here that even though it was ten deep, for some reason there was not enough noxious air there to even create damage. And therefore, the second guy by plastering it suddenly made it full of these fumes that even for nizakin would be enough, and certainly for mita, for mita would be enough, and certainly for nizakin. All right, very good. So now we've got uh, the lay of the land on those brightot. Amar Rav. Rav said the following. Let's say you have a bore that's nine deep. And you put an, a rock around the the uh, lip so that now from the entrance to the bore down, it's ten. But it's nine underground and one above. Banan machlokat rabbi v'rabbanan. Says the machlokat rabbi v'rabbanan. Meaning that according to rabbanan, only the last guy is chayv. And according to rabbi, for nizikin, they share chayv. So, pshita, that's a no-brainer. 
That's exactly the case of, of adding a tenth tefach. So, no, maybe you would think that it's only below ground that your extra tefach really killed. But above ground, there's no extra air that you're adding. Maybe you're not liable. That you are, and therefore the Rabbanan and Rebbe stick to their approaches there. So now, boy, Rav, Rav, and now asks a side question. Side to the, to the previous statement. Tom Tavach Let's say there was ten, nine, and a guy dug number ten, and then he filled it in. Tom Tavach, meaning we're assuming now the background is that there was nine. Another fellow came along and dug Tavach number ten, which according to Rabban gets the first guy off the hook, but then our second fellow filled in his Tavach. Or, uh, he, he moved the rock that was on top, in the case that we just had, moved it away from the side, so that now his addition has been, if you will, subtracted. Mahu. Do we say that what the guy added now was taken away? And now we're back to the first guy being liable for Nazikin. Maybe we say, no, once the second guy comes, the corner of Bonan, and adds the tenth tefach, the first guy's gone. And now when the second guy takes away his tefach or fills it in, he's still now liable for nine. The answer is teku, we don't know. Interesting take. You have a bore that's only eight deep, so so far it should only be for Nizakin. And uh, two of the tefachim are water, which means there's six of air and two of water. Chayav. You're liable for death. My time, and this really supports the notion of noxious air, is that when you have stagnant water sitting at the bottom, and that's after all, it is a cistern, two, one each tafach of water is like two tafachim of dry land, and therefore you have six of air, plus another four worth in two of water, and that gives you ten. Now, question is, what if you have nine, one of which is water? Mahu. Do you say the same ratio exists? Do we say since there's not enough water here, it doesn't add extra hevla, it's just nine deep? Perhaps the opposite. Because it's deeper than the other one, there's more hevel. Flip it. You have a bore that's only seven. But three of them are water, which means you have four plus six if you would keep the same equation, Mahu. Do you say since there's more water than the case of two? There's more noxious air. Maybe because it's not deep, there isn't Havel. The answer is Teku. So we know eight and two, we don't know nine and one, we don't know seven and three. Okay, Bamine Rav Shizvimiraba. So he asked Raba, Hirchiva Mahu, what happens if you widen a cistern? There was a cistern that was ten. Another guy comes and widens the opening. The guy's a good guy. He shouldn't be liable. He he ventilated it. Amalej, Rav Sizvi said back, he made it more likely for people to fall in because uh because he uh he he made it he widened the opening, so it's easier to fall, for someone to fall in. Now, Ravash said as follows, let's see the case. If it's the noxious air that killed him, the, the, the second guy made it less likely he would die, certainly shouldn't be liable. But if on the other hand, um, uh, he hit the ground, and that's what hurt him, um, <clears throat> then clearly this fellow, by widening it, made more likely that he would fall in, and he is liable. Ikadami, there's another version of Ravashi. I'm Ravashi, Nechzianan. Imiahi Gisanafal, if he fell from one side, 
In other words, I mean, if it fell from the side that was widened, then this guy's liable. He made it more easier for him to fall in. But if he fell from the other side that wasn't widened, this guy, from that perspective, actually made it more safer for him. So he shouldn't be liable. Okay. Now let's see what the ratio is. Because if you recall, in the last podcast, we dealt with the issue of bor and chiritzin and, and everything. We talked about the issue of of uh, constricted air spaces being more noxious, which is quite obvious. So if you have a bore which is as deep as it is wide, which means a very wide bore. They quote Rabbi Mani saying, So one version between Rabbi and Rav Yosef was that uh, was that um, as it, there's always considered Hevel until it's wider than it's deep. So if, let's say, it's 10 deep until it's 11 wide, it's got Hevel. He says the opposite. We don't consider it Hevel until it's deeper than it's wide. So if it's 10 deep and 10 wide, according to the second version, it's he's not liable. According to the first version, it is liable. Okay, which totally goes in the direction of Hevel because clearly... The issue of chavotav, of the impact on the ground, is going to be the same, whether it's wider or narrower. And that's something that Ravashi kind of honed in on in the previous piece. All right, if you recall, in the Mishnah we said that if the first partner passed by and didn't cover it, and then the second one passed by and he didn't cover it, then the second guy is liable. So when is the first guy off the hook? Again, we go back to Rabbi Mani, this transmission that's a very unusual uh, uncommon transmission. When the first guy walks away and the second guy is using the water, the first guy's off the hook. Uh, that the uh, that the first guy has to hand over either the pail or the cover. Right? Uh, says Right. So uh, the, the, either way, the first guy has to hand over, if you will, the keys to the to the well. Now the cistern. Kitanoi, and this follows a machlokitanaim. Hamadlem ma'im in a bor. If somebody is um, drawing water from the well, uvachaver of marlo hanachli vaniad lemaim, and another guy comes along and says, "Leave it for me, and I'll uh, I'll draw water." Kevanchi nichomish tamesh patur. The minute that the first guy walks away and leaves the second guy using it, then the first guy is patur. Rabbi Yaakov disagrees and says, "No, you're not patur until you hand it over." The Maikami Palgi, what's the Machloket? It's very interesting. Rabbi Lozman Yaakov Savar Yesh Breira. Now, this is a sugi that we've dealt with in Kedushim, we've dealt with in Gitten. Breira, essentially meaning retroactive designation. And Breira is always an issue when it comes to partnership. So if two guys own a well together, a cistern together, the question is, do we just say the entire thing is owned by both of them, or do we say that theoretically, one half is mine, one half is yours, but there's just no way to, to, to decide which is which, but if later something happens... Like there's a later division that clarifies from the get-go which half was mine and which half was yours. If we say yesh breira, then there is retroactive designation. So Belazman Yaakov says yesh breira, and therefore, when I ha- when if I do not yet hand over the cover to you, in the meantime, the thing is half mine and half yours, and I maintain liability. It's only when I hand it over to you. So which means each guy is drawing water from what turns out to be his own half of the well. And therefore it's mine and yours until I hand it over to you and then you accept the liability to watch my half also. Rabbanan Savri Ein Breira. Rabbanan say Ein Breira. 
And therefore, it's all just a common thing. And the minute that you're using it, you've got total control over it. And it doesn't need to be like a formal Kenyan of me asking you to watch it. And Rabbi Lozman Yaakov and Rabbonan are consistent on the issue of Brera, that Nan, the beginning of the fifth paragraph of Nadarim, has a fabulous sugya about Brera, which is, You have partners in a, let's say, a, a uh, courtyard. They own a courtyard together, and they got mad at each other, they Isra Hana on each other. They're not allowed to enter the Chatzar, because we all accept Rabbi Lozman's principle that uh, even though people normally don't mind that somebody else walks on their property, when there's an Isra Hana, you're still not allowed to do it, meaning a person's not allowed to forego and be mochel. So therefore, Rabbanon say, you can't walk in the other guy's yard, in, in the yard, because part of that yard, every step you're taking is half yours, half his. Each guy walks into his own part, meaning, wherever you walk, right now, that's my half. Take another step, that's my half. That's my territory, etc. We can keep walking around each other in circles, stepping in each other's footsteps, and it's still okay. Now, but my Palgi, what is the essential machloket? He says that yesh breira, and therefore, each guy walks into the part that's theirs. Rabbanan Savri Ein Breira. Ein Breira, which means every step you take, you're taking a step into commonly owned property, including of the other fellow, where there's an Isra Hanot. Now, we're going to see three cases that follow the same pattern. Uh, not of Breira, but rather of handing over, if you will, the keys uh, as being the, uh, the, the point of uh, transfer of ownership. Amr Belazar, Mocha Bor Lechaver, if a guy sells a boar, we're going to start with what's close to us. The minute you hand over the pail or the cover, then that's the kinyan. Now, the question is, hechidami. And this hechidami is going to be the same thing through all, all three. What's the case? If you're being kona, this bore bikasef, and bore is karka, you can buy it bikasef. So, the minute you hand over the money. If it's a kinyan chazaka, that you can certainly be kona, karka bechazaka. So, the chazaka would be, you drink water from it, you uh, put up a sign and invite people to buy water from you, whatever it is, that's your chazaka. So, why are we handing over the thing? So, the answer is, the olam bechazaka. I'm going to kiss bechazaka. Remember, when you're kona bechazaka, the seller has to say to you, lech, in front of edim, lech chazek ukni. I mean, Adam, just to make sure that uh, nobody uh, changes, the, changes the story. You may go and be machzik and acquire it. So now, let's say the guy didn't say lechazekukni. When the other fellow, in the presence of the seller, goes, uh, sorry, the seller hands over the the uh, dali, that's as if he said lechazekukni. So that's what we mean, is that handing this thing over is tantamount to making a declaration and stands in lieu of it. If I sell you a house, if I, when the minute I give you the key, then that's the Kenyan. Now, again, same deal. It's the exact same sugi that we had just now, same discussion. Just substitute Dali with Mafteach. That's all. So once you hand over the key, it's as if you make the declaration, This third one is a little bit different. If a fellow sells a flock of sheep, now, the, the reason it's different is because now it's not karka, it's metaltaline, and therefore we cannot be talking about Kenyan kesef or chazaka. We'll see. Now, mashchukit, 
um, will be discussed in a minute, but it's going to be something that clearly indicates ownership of the or, or control over the flock. That's the Kenyan. If you're being cone of the flock by pulling them, so he should be cone of the minute that he, that he pulls one of the sheep. If it's Mesira, when the, uh, the seller hands over the reins, as it were, to the buyer, let that be it. The answer is the Olam be Meshicha. In a case of Meshicha, just like in a case of Chazaka, the seller has to say to the buyer, be Moshech, pull it, and be it. Right? The minute that he hands over this Meshuchit, it's as if he made that statement. Again, Handing something over is tantamount to the statement of Lech Hazekokni, Lech Meshokokni. Now, parenthetically, my Mashkuchit, what is it? Hachatagimu, here in Baba, we said it's Karkashta, it's a bell. A bell that you ring to get the flock going. Abiyakov Omer, but in Eretz Yisrael, Abiyakov said, Iza da Azla Beresh Edra. It's a goat that walks in front of the flock. It's like the lead goat. There was a famous Gliloi, might have been a few of them, who came to Babel and were in the Beit Midrash of Chista, famous Darshanim famous, but we don't know the names, and he had a uh, um, a metaphor for the way God treats his people, that when the um, when the shepherd is angry at the flock, I know when HaKadosh Baruch was angry at his people, he takes the lead goat and blinds him, so that he falls into traps, and they all fall into traps. In the same way, the way Rashi explains it, when God is angry at his people, he gives them bad leaders who lead them into bad places and make bad decisions and uh, and they suffer accordingly. Okay, we'll stop at this point. We'll pick it up at the rest of Mishnavav uh, on Daf Nun Bet Amur Aleph as we continue our study of the fifth parak of Masachet Bavakam. Everybody should have a wonderful day.